listening to OT Uncorked. I'm your host, Miranda Rennie. On OT Uncorked, we uncork hot topics in occupational therapy and a bottle of wine. This episode is the first in a mini-series we're calling Passion Meets Paycheck, and it's all about helping you feel prepared to find the right OT job. I interview therapists who have recently started new jobs about their process from graduation day to their first day at work. We cover a range of settings and experience, starting in this episode with a recent grad OT who kicked off her career with not one, but three different jobs. All right, Colette, so go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So my name is Colette. I am an occupational therapist and I actually just graduated in December and passed my board. Congratulations. So super excited to officially be part of the field. Thank you. Um, I currently have a couple different jobs, so I'm kind of in lots of different settings, but I'm loving actually like being a professional OT now. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that so exciting after so many years of school to finally be doing the thing? (laughs) crazy that's such yeah. a good moment when you when you finally get to do what you've been training for isn't it mm-hmm. yeah so before we get into the good stuff I want to ask you what are you drinking today I have yellowtail pink moscato because I'm definitely a sweet wine person so <laughs> very cool I am drinking a I have to look at the bottle <laughs> to get the details it's from romania it's a new one i've never tried before it's a pinot noir which honestly is not usually my choice but this is pretty good it's so sometimes i try to get the wine to match the episode but that's only gonna last for so many topics um but this (laughs) one is called i am i guess that's the the brand of it I am. And I thought that was kind of fun because when we talk about starting a new job, I feel like one, there's this insecurity of feeling like you need to justify who you are. And in this new professional identity, like who I am as an OT too. Um, Absolutely. And throughout the interview process, that just felt like a theme to me. So I went with it. <laughs> I love it. So before we dive into kind of what the process looked like for you to get your uh, three jobs, which is amazing. <laughs> I can't wait to hear about that. Um, why did you go to OT school? Why did you want to become an OT? So my path to OT was actually kind of convoluted. I didn't know about OT like most OTs <laughs> for a while. Um, I majored <laughs> in psych in undergrad. And I was just working at my job and somebody that I was working with was talking about OT and it just sounded perfect to me because it kind of blended my psych background and my exercise science background into something that was really tangible and let me make a difference in people's lives every single day. So to me, it was just an easy job choice because you can be so creative. You get to touch people's lives in ways that they would never expect and you never imagined until you get into OT. And there's just endless opportunities in the world of OT. So Yeah. So were you an exercise 
physiologist or exercise science student before? What did, how does that fit in? Yeah, so my major was psych and my minor was exercise science. So I kind of, it's really interesting actually how like it led to OT because it really blended the cognitive and the physical aspects together. So I felt like I had a really good overall view and then OT just kind of combined it all and used it. <laughs> when you first came into school, what area of OT did you think you wanted to practice in? Geriatrics. I've always loved geriatrics and older adults, so I went in 100% set on geriatrics. <laughs> I actually lived in like an assisted living facility while I was in school, so that also helped. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, it was a really, really good learning experience, and I ended up making a lot of friends that I never would have met if I didn't do it. <laughs> so it was cool. Definitely exhausting and trying, but a really, really good experience. Can I ask how you ended up? living there. I mean, that's kind of a unique <laughs> experience. I really want to dive into that. Yeah, it was offered before I started my program. It was actually, it's a research study that was done with it. So there were three people from my OT cohort that lived at that assisted living facility, including myself. And we were doing research on intergenerational living and like how loneliness impacts older adults and then how intergenerational relationships can change that loneliness and if that improves health and things like that, and also if that improves or changes any stereotypes of younger adults. So we got to live there, free room and board, as long as we socialized with the residents 30 hours a month, which was fun. So it was a win-win. But wow, that's amazing. So now, this was her research study. Have the results come out? Has something been published yet? I don't believe it's been published. Um, we were in the research so it was a weird like dynamic of we didn't see the results yet but we went and presented on our experience a couple times at a couple different conferences but the overall data I don't think has been published yet well if you hear that it is let me know because <laughs> I would love to post it on the resource blog that just sounds like a really interesting study and I can only imagine that you had a huge impact on the people you were meeting and they probably impacted you too oh absolutely yeah I will never forget all those relationships so were there formal opportunities for you to socialize or was it just kind of in common spaces you know um, what did that look like it was both they had their events like their daily event activities um like I really got into poker when I was there and that was <laughs> one of the formal events um but they also had like trivia but we also mealtime was a big thing for us like going down and actually sitting down and eating with them but sometimes it was just room visits, especially once we got to know the residents a little bit better. We would just go to their rooms and talk to them or walk around outside. So it just kind of varied and depended on the day. That's I love that you play poker with them. Now, did you let them win or were you, did you get pretty good? Um, they definitely beat me a lot until I figured out what was going on. But luckily, we just bet with a bunch of pennies that got collected at the end of the game. So I was okay. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't hurt you too much. Nope. I guess when there's free room and board, you've got a little extra for the poker game, right? A couple pennies, yeah. <laughs> a couple pennies <laughs> saved up, right? <laughs> so that sounds like a really interesting experience that you had. That was during OT school, right? Yes. Yep. What other sort of uh, professional or academic or research experiences in school helped shape what you ended up doing as as a job after school? So I would say there's two main things probably that shaped where I ended up. One of those was being a graduate assistant. Um, I was partnered with this 
incredible gerontologist who's actually not even an OT, but she's on the OT like faculty and she's a gerontologist. And I got to do a lot of research with her, um, more about older adults and dementia and how we, we actually were working with engineers and like working on designing technology to improve feeding for older adults with dementia. So lots of cool opportunities there that just kind of fueled the passion for geriatrics. And then the other major thing that impacted me was my first level two placement. It was an outpatient neuro setting. Um, and I just absolutely fell in love with that and fell in love with that place. And so I wasn't incredibly passionate about neuro before, but that place just kind of refueled that psych passion that I had had before. And so geriatrics and neuro became my passion. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about what three jobs you have right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's crazy. I'm still kind of wrapping my head around it because it's all new. But my first job is a PRN job in a SNF. So skilled nursing facility, um, PRN. So I've only worked there a couple of times, but basically my plan with that one is to just kind of pick up a couple of Saturdays. And I really wanted that one because you mostly see geriatrics and SNFs have quite the reputation. So I wanted to make sure that I got that piece of OT in the geriatric world in my experience. Um, my second one is a part-time job at an assisted living facility that's also an independent living facility and a little bit of memory care. So that one, we see residents from all different parts of the facility. So independent living, assisted living, and memory care. And technically, it's outpatient for all of those. So we like bring them down to our gym and all that kind of stuff. So that one, we mostly work on keeping them as independent as possible to keep them in whatever setting they're currently in so they don't have to go down that continuum. And then my last job is another part-time job um, at the outpatient neuro setting that I did my field replacement, actually, that I had mentioned, which is why that had such a big influence on me because I loved it so much I wanted to come back. So that's my (laughs) third job. Wow. I am exhausted hearing you talk (laughs) about it. Um, What led you to go for three jobs right out of school? So... The main reason I wanted to do that was because I am very passionate about both geriatrics and neuro. I mentioned how my school has kind of led me to both, and I've always had passions for both in different ways. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just completely ruling one out right away at the start of my career. I wanted to explore it and get my feet wet in both areas and see what was there. So that was part of it. Another part was that I live in Michigan. And Michigan is pretty saturated with OTs. We have a lot of OT schools. And I didn't know at the time that I was applying what there would be. I've heard that there's mostly just PRN jobs in Michigan. So I kind of just put myself out there. And that's what I ended up with was like three really cool opportunities. And I didn't want to pass up any of them. So, yeah, that's that's how I got to the crazy three job status. That's awesome. So... You have three jobs. So how many did you apply to to get to narrow it down to those three? So I applied to literally about 30 jobs. um, And I kept a spreadsheet of all of them to like keep track of what was going on and everything. So it was definitely a process. But I did. I didn't apply to just anything that was out there. I applied to 
the things that I knew were in my setting, like peds is not my strength, not really my interest. So I never applied to any peds jobs. It was all geriatrics and neuro that I was applying to. So you mentioned a spreadsheet and I know there's some listeners who are current students, or there's also some people who are considering a practice setting switch, uh, you know, kind of shifting gears within their OT career. And I think that you could probably offer some really great practical advice when trying to organize yourself to apply for so many jobs, right? And can you just give us an idea, kind of what was on, what were you tracking on that spreadsheet and what information do you feel like was really helpful? And was there any information you were gathering that really didn't turn out to influence your decision? So I'm definitely a list person. So I try to put as much on my list as possible. So, so obviously the place that I applied was like, it was on an Excel spreadsheet. So the place that I applied was like my first column. And then the type of position that it was like full-time versus part-time versus PRN, especially because sometimes within one company, there could be multiple job openings. And so if you applied to the full-time and the PRN, you want to make sure that you know which one they're getting back to you about if they do get back to you. And then I had the date that I applied the method that I applied because sometimes it was through the actual company site and sometimes they only wanted you to apply through Indeed. And sometimes I actually applied to jobs through LinkedIn. So I kept track of where I applied. And then I just had a general notes column, which was basically if I ended up talking to anybody from that company, like what they told me and when I could expect to hear back and all of that kind of stuff. And then as I was interviewing, I kept updated notes in that column of what happened and the information that they gave me. So I think all of that, probably the only thing that I didn't really need was like the method that I applied. Like, I don't think it mattered that much if I applied through the company site or through Indeed. I just needed to know like where I applied and what the job was. So when the person got back to me, I wasn't like, which one was that again? (laughs) That would never look good. No. Yeah. And that would get really confusing trying to juggle all of that. Yeah. Now, of all of those jobs that you applied for, how many did you hear back from and how many applications just kind of went out into to the ether and you never heard back from? <laughs> so I did keep track of that too. I have different like headings of general just applications and then ones that I was just straight up rejected from, like got that email like, sorry, we're going a different way. Um, ones that I was offered and then ones that it had been over a month since I applied and I just assumed that was just gone. So The number that I applied to that I just never heard back was like 13, I believe. Those were the ones that I was just like, it's been over a month and I have heard nothing. So of the 30, about half of them just never came back. I think that's really helpful and kind of encouraging for people who are currently applying for jobs, especially because now we're submitting applications through Indeed, LinkedIn, what you mentioned it's so easy to apply almost, right? Mm-hmm. To, I mean, to some extent, it's once you have all your materials prepped, it's pretty straightforward. So more people are, are likely applying for the same positions, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. So to hear that you obviously are very good at what you do, you got a couple jobs, so obviously you're well appreciated and um, have good jobs. So it's not a reflection on the applicant if they don't hear back from like half of their applications, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's really helpful, especially if you're coming out of the academic environment, 
where if you apply for anything, you get an email confirming that they got your application. And then you get an email saying someone's looked at it. And then you get an email saying you got it or you didn't get it. And they almost kind of walk you through that process so wonderfully that to then be pushed out into the real world, I feel like we could start to question a lot about ourselves. And I just want to throw it out there. Don't, right? <laughs> Absolutely not. And one thing that I learned actually was that these places will keep their postings up on Indeed or LinkedIn until somebody has actually accepted the offer. So you could be applying and they're already in the interview process and they won't tell you that you'll just never hear back. So sometimes they don't even look at your application. So it's not like they looked at you and ruled you out, which I'm sure sometimes happened to me, but some of it probably was just that I applied at the wrong time and you never know (laughs) if they're already interviewing or like they already offered the position to somebody and you just sent it in. So it's, it's easy to get discouraged for sure, but Sometimes it's just wrong timing or the place is super slow. So things to keep in mind. (laughs) It's so easy to question yourself and like lose yourself in this process, but it's really important to stay motivated and remember why you got into it and remember that whatever is meant to happen for you is going to open up. And maybe the job that you applied to a month ago wasn't the best job for you. And that's why you never heard back. Yeah. Hey, that's a really good piece of advice. When you're when you're applying to this many jobs, right? It's got to take some time. Yes. Tell me a little bit about when you started the process relative to your graduation day and kind of how many hours a week or how many weeks you worked on this for so that people have an idea of how much they should be doing. Yeah. So, it all depends on your personal timeline. Um For me, I graduated end of December, and then I gave myself two weeks of just it like Christmas, holidays. I was moving home for my last field replacement, so I just gave myself two weeks, and then I started studying for the boards. I did not apply to jobs while I was studying for the boards, maybe one or two when I got really anxious and just felt like I needed to get something out there. But for the most part, I didn't because a lot of the applications will ask if you are licensed or if you're certified, and I have to say no. And I think that just automatically kind of throws your application out. So a lot of times I just held off instead of, because sometimes the job could still be there after I got through the boards and everything. And then I wouldn't have ruled myself out by saying I wasn't certified yet. So I held off. So I studied for the boards for about six weeks, passed the boards. And then I still waited a little bit until I got my license. And then I started like really heavily applying. And when I was in that heavy phase of applying, I treated it like a job. Honestly, I would wake up, do my morning routine, everything, sit down, apply to one or two jobs, have lunch, and then come back and apply to another one or two jobs. (laughs) And then that whole process, it was only about a week until I heard back from the first one. So then interviews started working in and I was prepping for interviews and all of that. But it was about a two month process of applying and interviewing and ruling out some of those offers and everything until I actually settled and got those three offers and was ready to go. Okay. So how many places did you interview with? I interviewed at 10 different places. Wow. Oh my word. (laughs) That is a full-time job. (laughs) It was. And that's the thing. And I wanted to prepare for every interview too, which takes time. So it's not just the actually sitting down and applying to those jobs. It's also getting ready for the interviews and then following up on those interviews and everything like that. It really, I basically was working on getting a job before I was working. <laughs> doesn't pay as well though, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, definitely not. You would think it would. Yeah, right. It should. <laughs> so for those interviews that you had, what was your experience as far as uh, telephone interviews, video interviews, in person? What was the process like or did it really vary between places? It was extremely varied in my experience, um, which kind of helped me figure out where I wanted to be. If I went in, I actually was really surprised that I went into a lot of interviews that didn't ask me anything clinical. They just literally, I got the question, like, tell me a little bit about yourself. And that was it. The rest of it was like, they were trying to sell me on the job, which kind of felt like a red flag because I'm a new grad. Like, why are you trying to just sell me on this, <laughs> this much? There must be something going on. And so the interview, the specific interview with each place definitely gave me a really good feel of what that place was going to offer if I accepted. So I took that into consideration. Most of mine were in person because I mostly applied locally just because of life <laughs> events coming up and everything. I didn't want to move too far. So I mostly applied locally. So I was able to go to all of them in person. I did have a couple phone screens before actually going in person. And they typically asked, um, when I got the screen, it was mostly like where my experience was before. And I always talked about my fieldwork experience because it is a job. <laughs> like you can say that you have on the job experience yeah. because of that. So I talked about my fieldwork experience. They asked about what pay I would want right away, like off the bat. And they asked uh, if I was certified. Those are pretty much the screen questions. And those are pretty simple just to make sure that you were good to go for the interview. For that interview process, I love what you mentioned about going in and really it was kind of you interviewing them in a way, trying to see what that experience was like. And I think that's so important too, because you want it to be a good fit on both sides, right? You want to be a good fit for them and you want them to be a good fit for you. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned a red flag and that's a big one. If they're trying to sell you on the job so much that they're not even really worried about who you are or what you have to offer. They just want someone in the position, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's a really good piece of advice. Was there anything else you saw as a red flag while you're going through some of these interviews? Yeah. So the first interview I went to actually was the one that sticks out in my head is that was the biggest red flag place possible because in the interview and I was, you know, it's your first interview, so I had no idea what to expect. Um, but I knew that this one was not good because I was there and he he was one of the ones who didn't ask me anything clinical. But he did tell me all about how his other OTs weren't good at documenting and how he needed somebody who was really good at that. And in my mind, that was a red flag because you should not be bad-mouthing your current employees to somebody who's not even on your team. Um, he also, this was a home health position, he pulled up the app that they use to like talk between therapists and was showing me like patient records on it, which is a major HIPAA violation right there. So I was like, sure this is, is just all wrong. And he was talking about how you have to buy your own materials and you don't even get a company iPad until you're in there for two months to be able to document. So I was like, this just definitely is not going to be supportive. It doesn't even seem very legal if he's like breaking up a rules right away. So those are some <laughs> major red flags and definitely yeah. things to look out for when you go to interviews because 
sometimes these people are desperate and they just want you in the position and there's a reason that they're desperate. Yeah. And if you had taken that job or I guess people have in the past, if he has employees, right? So (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. scary. (laughs) And I think it's important for us to realize that our licenses are on the line. Exactly. And you can be employed by someone legally, right? And still have to keep in mind your personal and professional ethics. Mm -hmm. And we learned that so well in school. So I think part of what you did is really trusted your gut and trusted your ethics and your education to say, you know what, this is not, not a good position for me to be in. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and the thing is, I considered it for a little bit because it was the first interview. And again, I was in Michigan. So I was like, this is probably going to be the only position I'm ever offered. So I ended up calling one of my professors and just talking to her about it. And like, I was just talking to her that something felt wrong, but I wanted her to confirm it basically. So I would also highly suggest going back and talking to those professors that you built a relationship with because they can talk sense into you when you're out in the job search and just kind of freaking out about everything. So she definitely (laughs) helped in that situation. Good. Yeah. And your fieldwork educators, professor, Mm -hmm. even other maybe supervisors you respect. Yeah. I love that. Getting some feedback and have someone as a sounding board during this process. Definitely. Did you ever reach out to a potential employer before you heard back from them or during the interview process? One of my current jobs, um, took a little while what happened sometimes there's recruiters because sometimes they're bigger companies so what happened was the recruiter had called me and told me that they were going to set up an interview and that the director of rehab at that facility was going to call me to set it up and it had been a week and I still hadn't heard from the director of rehab so I emailed the recruiter and was just kind of following up it ended up taking a couple weeks actually for the director of rehab to get back to me and that's because things were changing on their end but in that situation, I did keep in contact with the recruiter and just ask what was happening and follow up that way. The only other way that I followed up during the interview process was to thank people for uh, bringing me in for the interview and showing me their facility and talking to me and everything like that. But in general, I tried not to <laughs> as hard as it was just because I wanted to give them the space and the time to think things over. Sure. And I think it sounds like you did the right thing, right? Following up with a thank you, getting your name in their inbox again, and also just showing gratitude for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's that's big. I wonder, um, you mentioned, you know, that for some of the interviews, you got to go on site tours. Were there any places that, aside from obviously home health, which would, that would be <laughs> difficult, um, yeah. <laughs> were there any places that didn't offer you any sort of site tour or places that you felt like were, hiding some aspect of the facility from you um there was one yeah that I was there and it was just a very quick interview it was like 15 minutes basically and that was one that they didn't really ask much and they were trying to sell me on it and I didn't even see the facility I didn't even see like the gym or anything like that so that always feels odd because if they're bringing you in you should know what you're getting into you should know the patient population you should know the equipment that you're about to work with so if they're reluctant to show you the facility or to let you see other therapists, there's something there. That is definitely a red flag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of your in-person interviews, one, kind of how long did they typically last? That one you mentioned was short, 
and kind of weird mm-hmm. 15 minutes. What was kind of the typical experience of, of length of interviews for some of the more maybe green flag places? <laughs> um, they lasted anywhere from half an hour. My longest one was an hour and a half and it was a great facility. I didn't end up going there, but it was a really, really cool place. Um, yeah. So it was anywhere from half an hour to an hour and a half. And that kind of depended on how much of the facility they showed me. The interview part itself was usually never longer than half an hour to 35 minutes. So. Yeah. Okay. And then as part of that interview process, were you ever able to talk kind of one-on-one with any of the other therapists that were employed there? So the only place that I was able to do that was the place that I did my field work that I now hired at. And that is because I had connections with those people beforehand. So I was able to reach out. Other than that, I was never, I could have asked probably to just talk alone with the therapist. And I did get to talk to the therapist, but it was always with the supervisor who was interviewing me (laughs) right there. So it's a little bit iffy on whether or not you trust what those therapists are saying when their supervisor is standing right there. But and that's like in those situations, I always felt like I was getting genuine sure. answers. And it was nice, at least, that the therapist, that the supervisor brought in those other therapists for me to talk to. So I wasn't isolated from them and they wanted me to talk to them and ask questions. Yeah, I remember one of the places I did my field works in school, I was there while they were going through a hiring process. And each interview week had a chance to sit down with two or three other therapists in a separate space, really casual. I think they had lunch together or something with no interviewers around. That's really nice. And I thought, right? I thought that was such a cool opportunity for both the already employed therapists to kind of vet their peers and see is this someone I could really collaborate with. But mostly I think for the interviewee to see who am I going to be working mm-hmm. with and is this a place I want to work? Kind of, again, seeing if it's that good fit both ways because when you think about it, you don't get as much face time with your supervisor as you do with the people around you in most jobs, right? Exactly. And that's so important to whether or not you're going to be satisfied with your job and whether or not you can achieve what you want to achieve at your job. Because if you're surrounded by people who are burnt out or have just kind of lost their passion for the profession, it's not going to be a great first job experience for you. So if you had the opportunity to talk to those therapists, that would be incredible. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard it as part of some interview processes. I think outside of healthcare, it's a pretty common practice from what I understand in a lot of other industries. And I think maybe healthcare is just a little bit slow to adopt that idea. Probably productivity, taking the therapist out of their right. day and affecting productivity. But that tells you something about the place of if they're not even willing to let somebody go for half an hour, an hour to talk to you, you're probably going to be pretty busy with productivity at that setting. That's true. That's a really good point. Any other maybe positive indicators in an interview? You talked about a few red flags that I think are so helpful, but is there anything during an interview where you said, yes, I really want to work here? <laughs> um, one place, they all open it up for questions at the end. But one specifically said, like, we're done with your interview part. We really want to make this a conversation. Ask us what you need to ask us. We can just talk casually. And that Mm -hmm. 
made me feel comfortable because it wasn't that I was still kind of on record <laughs> with them. Like they really opened it up and just let me express my concerns if I had any or just talk yeah. through with them. So that made me feel comfortable and made me really excited about the place. Um, another one, and I didn't end up taking this job, but it was a very cool facility and has a great reputation. Um, they actually had a case study as part of their interview, which is intimidating in the interview. But I thought that was great because they're actually looking at my on-the-spot clinical reasoning and they cared enough to take the time to let me like sit and read it. And they weren't just trying to get through the interview. They took the time to include that in their interview and actually work through the process with me and see if I was in line with the way that they thought. So it was definitely kind of scary in the moment. But it was a great sign that this place really cared about the quality of the therapists that they were bringing on. That is a tough one. When you're already nervous for an interview <laughs> and you're a new grad yep. and you're told, all right, give me your best OT reasoning. And not to say that we don't have it, but that's a tough question to answer. Um, if you're willing to share, did you feel like you answered it well? Do you feel like you had some gaps in your reasoning? What was that like? I didn't feel like I answered it that well only because so they gave me a printout basically of the like EMR like the documentation of everything and so there's so much information in there that you don't need to know in terms of OT like it was their entire life history of past surgeries like a tonsillectomy which really doesn't like 20 years ago which doesn't affect today so you had to sort through all of that and I felt under pressure because everybody was watching me so I didn't think I did a great job but obviously I did well enough because I was offered that position um but I think in that setting, that was for an acute care position. So my biggest gaps there were remembering the lab values that I was looking at and like remembering what each of those meant. <laughs> so that was tough in that situation. But the rest of it, I guess it was relatively straightforward. So it wasn't too bad. But I think in the moment, it's really easy to second guess yourself. I actually had an interview where I was also asked to respond to a case study but it was given to me verbally and I was not expecting that question for some reason. So I think it's good that you mentioned this because I wasn't somehow thinking they would ask me that. I don't know why. And I did not do a great job answering it, but it's funny because it was with a population that I had just told them I didn't have much experience with. And part of the reason why I wanted the job was because it was an, it was a population I really wanted to work with and was passionate about working with, but I didn't have a whole lot of on-the-job experience. The way that it worked out, my field works didn't quite align with that population. So that part was kind of unfortunate. And I <laughs> felt like I bombed the question. Oh my word, I am sure I turned bright red. I am I mean I answered it still and I'm sure I got some of it right, but it was it was not highlighting me as an OT, okay? At all. And I was still offered the job. Which totally shocked me after that experience. So I just want to throw that out there. That those those questions, I have a feeling there's more that they're looking for than just you know, it's probably, I'm sure it's with your clinical reasoning and your experience, but I feel like there's a lot going on there that they're looking for. So I wouldn't, I would agree with you. Don't be discouraged if you don't feel like you did your best. You probably 
did better than you think you did, or you still showed them something great about you. Mm-hmm. No, I would definitely agree. Because like I said, they asked me about lab values and like what levels were they at? And my mind was just completely mm-hmm. blank, like nothing there. Couldn't remember the name of hemoglobin. And I was still offered that job. So I think they were looking more at how you interact right. in that moment. And if you have an idea of what you should be looking at. So yeah, definitely don't get too discouraged because you could have blown them away and not even known it. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would have frozen if they asked me about lab values on the spot. <laughs> it was rough, <laughs> yeah. Especially because I had a year gap between fieldwork and job application time through for research work. It was just the way my program was designed. So a year between fieldwork and job applications would have yeah I literally said to them like well I remember (laughs) checking a lab value to make sure that they wouldn't bleed out if they fell like that was it (laughs) that was my extent of the answer there I love it I (laughs) love your honesty too because the truth is in that situation we would all be feeling inadequate and forgetful and we'd probably be questioning why am I even doing this right (laughs) um and so I just appreciate your vulnerability with that because I would be in the same boat with you, girl. (laughs) Was there anything throughout this whole process that, aside from maybe that question, I'm not sure, but that kind of took you by surprise uh, that you really were not prepared for or didn't expect? Honestly, the thing that took me by surprise the most was the amount of response that I got. Um, I got more response than I was expecting. And I think that's because I put in so much time and applied to so many places because I had always heard there's nothing there. There's only PRN. Like you're just, it's going to be a really rough job search. Um, So I was actually surprised at the response that I got. And then after that, I was surprised at how hard it was to sort through everything. Like I knew the populations that I wanted to work with, but then when they start presenting you with salaries and thought if I was, if I was offered a job. I would just take that job and it would be simple. <laughs> so the complexity of it all surprised me. You mentioned salary negotiation. Did, in your experience, were you pretty much just offered a salary and benefits and it was a take it or leave it? Or did you feel like you had room to negotiate? I feel like I had room to negotiate at most of the places. Some of them, especially the bigger places, were just set in this is how much experience you have. This is the amount that you're going to get. Um, but a lot of places actually asked me, what are you hoping for, for salary, which is a really tough question when you don't know exactly like what their pay scale is or anything like that. So I do feel like I had room to negotiate, but it was helpful that has like by state and by setting and by years of experience, what most people are making. So that helps me have a starting point of what I should be asking for. I wonder if you're referencing the AOTA workforce survey. There's that. I know there's that, but there's also an Excel spreadsheet, like a giant Excel spreadsheet that people are adding to all the time of like where they're at and what they're making. That is a tough question to answer when you're new to the field. It's very tough. Yeah. And it it threw me by surprise that that was in the question bank. Like the first time I talked to some of these people is, what are you thinking for salary? And I was like, I don't even know if you're going to hire me. So it's something that you have to think about before you even know much about the job, honestly. If there's anything you could change about the way you approached this job search and this application process, 
uh, what would you do differently? I'd calm down <laughs> for one thing. <laughs> I was yes. super stressed during the whole thing, um, mostly because I had imposed this timeline on myself of like, I passed my board, I got my license, it's time to work right now. Um, so I was just very stressed through it all. And I don't think I even enjoyed the fact that I was getting all these offers that I wasn't expecting because I was just so stressed about it. So I would definitely change that and just kind of remind myself that wherever I am meant to end up will be where I end up. And if it takes a little bit of time, then that's okay. Um, The other thing that I would change probably is just to trust myself a little bit more with some of those initial interviews that I knew were kind of weird. I spent too much energy, I think, and too much time getting to the conclusion that they were not for me. So just trusting my gut a little bit more in this process would have made my life a little bit simpler. Yeah, I think that is really, really good advice. And both of those pieces of advice are kind of about self-care, I think, during this process. Mm -hmm. Because it really matters how we feel about ourselves and our skills and how confident we are that we have in fact been trained for this and (laughs) in your case too you had passed the board exam you you were a registered therapist and yet we have these feelings and thoughts of self-doubt and we wonder if we should even be OTs I don't know if you had I had that experience I I still had that experience oh no what am I doing I'm a couple months into work and I still go there every day and I'm like oh my gosh I don't even know if I'm qualified for this So yeah, it's definitely easy to question yourself, but I do. I like my first day of work, I was just in the middle of everything and just really freaking out. And I just sat down and reminded myself that I am actually a therapist now. Nobody is like watching all of my treatment sessions and reading my notes. Like I'm allowed to do this. However, I feel comfortable doing it because I'm qualified. So it's definitely something to keep in mind going through the interview process and starting jobs. Did you have anybody, whether it was other peers in the same position or OTs who had maybe been in the field for any sort of amount of time longer than you had, uh, who were kind of sounding boards for this. I know you mentioned your professor, but kind of to get through this process, so you get out of your own head a little bit, you know? Fieldwork educator actually called and she's like, but just come in and talk to us as peers, as colleagues, as people who have been new grads before. And that was so helpful to me to have people that had gone through this process before and knew what it was like to be in the field as new grads and have somebody that was talking to you, not with the intent of just getting you to take the job that they're offering you, but to really, who really had your best interest in mind. If they hadn't done that, I think I would still be really stressed and still be really unsure of my situation, but I was afraid to reach out to them for it. So I'm really glad that they came to me. But my advice would be to reach out when you're feeling overwhelmed and feeling stressed because the people who have done this before have so much advice and they, they've been through it. So they know what to tell you and know how to guide you there. That is so important because we have people all around us. We have, like we said, educators in the fieldwork setting, in academia, we've probably shadowed, right? If we ended up going to the academic program for OT, we've met people in healthcare before, right? Big industry. And so we have all these people at our disposal. And yet I think sometimes during our moments of high stress and 
questioning and just like we said, that self-doubt, it's almost like we forget what resources we have. But as OTs, like we're really resourceful people, right? That's kind of what makes us good at what we do. And so I think what you're saying is so great and can really help people who are going to be in the same position to look around you, open your eyes. You have so many people who have your best interest in mind and that can be pivotal in your, your decision for kind of your Mm -hmm. first job and your career. Don't be afraid to reach out to those people. And OTs are all about accepting people where they're at and supporting them. So to think that other OTs wouldn't have supported me was just kind of ridiculous. So definitely use those resources at your disposal. I love that advice. Thank you for that. I think I still need that advice. So I'm hearing it for myself. And I'm also glad you're sharing it with the listeners, right? Yes. (laughs) Have your tribe and then also acknowledge that they exist, right? (laughs) (laughs) So right now you're busy. You've got big things happening in life and professional land, personal land. This is so exciting. Uh, What do you think once you settle into these jobs, right? Like, so no rush and no pressure, but what kind of do you see in the long run? I love research. I was lucky enough to get that research background in my grad program and in undergrad. So I definitely want to go into some type of research in some capacity. I want to be able to work that into my position, especially because evidence-based care is so big in our profession right now. And we really need to back up the benefit of OT and why we're good at what we do. Mm-hmm. So I want to incorporate research somehow into my uh, career. I'd also love to do some more education. So taking students or teaching like an adjunct class or eventually becoming a professor, research and education are both down the horizon somewhere for me, um, either with geriatrics or the neuropopulation or a combination. We'll see. That's exciting. And that is so wonderful about OT that you can have jobs in multiple practice settings. You can be part of the academic process for um, upcoming OTs. You can conduct research and all in a day's work, right? Mm -hmm. I think something that your experience really shows me is that you can, I, I am hesitant to say this, but you kind of, you can do it all right? Isn't that one of the most appealing parts of OT is that you have a a range of passions and interests professionally, and you Mm -hmm. have the chance to explore them within the same profession. Yeah, and that's part of what I would suggest, I think, to anybody who is passionate about more than one population is don't lock yourself in right away. Like you can take, even if you get a full-time job with one population, you can take a PRN and work a Saturday every now and then, or do a couple part-time jobs if you're up for it. Whatever allows you to kind of explore both of those populations so that you don't pigeonhole yourself into something at the very beginning of your career and then regret it later on. That's great advice. And I think the other part of that too is we have the freedom within OT to have one job now. And if a year, year and a half, two years in, we say, hey, this is not for me. Like you said, you don't have to pigeonhole yourself. You can do something different or you can pick up a PRN job to kind of test the waters in another setting. You can work with their geriatric population during the week and every once in a while on a Saturday, work in a peds clinic. Yeah, definitely. OT is just endless opportunities. 
Yeah, let's leverage what we have, mm-hmm. right? And we're trained in all of it. <laughs> you don't I know, even, it's crazy. You don't even need to go back to school for it. It's the best. No. <laughs> and I think if you're thinking about switching or doing something different, you can always do some continuing ed in that area too. And if you're really interested in it, then maybe explore picking up PRN or switching or something like that. But even just to start doing a little bit of continuing ed and kind of getting into that setting could be helpful. Especially for someone who's maybe looking for a job in a sort of niche market that is kind of saturated. And you mentioned kind of the whole state of Michigan is pretty saturated with OTs, but I know in some areas the sort of pediatric market is pretty saturated. And so to get into a pediatric position might take time or it might come at a greater sacrifice of salary or a lifestyle. And so what you're saying here is continue to make yourself qualified and relevant in that practice area. And then if you want, pick up that extra work, but we can constantly be striving towards those career goals, despite the fact that our first job might not always be reflective of our big picture dreams and goals and passions. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of the advice you've given. I feel like I learned a lot. So next job I apply for, watch out. I got it. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. It was fun to talk about it after it's all been processed and I've settled in a little bit. (laughs) Right. It's way more fun to think about in retrospect, right? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) So if there are listeners who want to contact you, maybe ask follow-up questions about your experience maybe something you said really resonated with them and their current experience. Is there a way they can contact you? I can give you my email and you can like put on a blog. So yeah, I can definitely put that out for you. Great. Yeah. I will add your email address to the resource blog. And for reference, anyone who's listening, you can go to otuncorked.com and click on the resource blog link. I will include any resources mentioned in this episode and Colette's contact information. Well, thank you again so much. This has been great. And I'm excited to see where you go and what you do next. Thanks. It's been real fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of OT Uncorked. For access to the resources mentioned and to add your voice to the conversation, visit the resource blog at otuncorked.com and leave a comment. If you enjoyed this episode, share OT Uncorked with a friend, leave a review, and hit the subscribe button. Don't forget to follow us on social media at OT Uncorked. Cheers! Cheers!